This is the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast with addiction specialist, Dr. Greg Lakin. Real people, real stories, real addiction, and real recovery journeys. The Road to Recovery starts now. Thank you. Hey, this is a new episode. I'm very excited about it. We have Michael here, and thank you so much for coming and, and, and telling us your story because we want to talk to people that have um, been in a tough place. Sometimes it has to do with addiction. Sometimes it's just life in general and persevered through it. And, and uh, yeah, you've got a great story. So if you'd start from the beginning or something, tell me a little bit about, yeah. Well... <clears throat> Um, there's so many parts to my story, uh, and as I've gotten older, I've been able to identify um, how each part affected me. Um, I, can, I can go back as far as grade school and, and tell you that um, some of the missing pieces to the, my puzzle uh, that I didn't even know back then was um, being over at a friend's house, seeing mom and dad, their mom and dad, and um, all sitting down at a table having dinner. And of course, me being a friend, I'm invited. And so I get to see this normalcy of a family unit. Um, and then I go home and I didn't have that. Um, it would be my mother cooking breakfast or, you know, um, and we eat wherever in the front room, bedroom or whatever. There was no, um, it just wasn't my ideal of, how a family was supposed to be after being exposed to my friend's family. And so as a kid, I kind of uh, wanted that more than anything. And uh, it just wasn't in the cards for me. Uh, I was brought up in a system to where um, people were struggling. My mother was a single parent, uh, no dad. Um, and so I got to grow up knowing that there was this piece, but it wasn't anywhere for me to have or to be a part of. And so as the years um, went on, I got older, I um, started boxing. Um, and it's really a unique story because I was kind of a softy. Uh, my sister used to thump me up a little bit every t every day and I'd run and tell my mom, and, and so my mom got tired of me running, and um, she, as a parent, um, she kind of had to play that father figure too, right. and so she thought outside the box, uh, what can I do to help him learn how to defend himself? So she stuck me in boxing, and it turned out that that was my sport. Um, so at the age of six, I started boxing, and I went through a lot of years of training. Um, first year, you can't actually compete until you're seven years old. And so I had a year's training going into boxing. And then when I started actually fighting at the age of seven, um, I quickly advanced uh, faster than, it would be your, it would be um, sort of like, taking a first grader and giving them sixth grade work. Mm -hmm. I just got it. It was like a gift and I understood it. I, it was like a chess game to me. And so um, during my boxing career, I was a three-time Golden Glove champion, um, 
won the silver mittens and I fought in the nationals to go to the Olympics, which I lost. And so I was really good at it and I knew I was good. And one of the things that made me good was I was a softie. Um, I didn't like to fight. I didn't have that. Um, I had discipline. It wasn't because I knew how to fight. I didn't want to fight. It was truly a sport. It was an art. It wasn't, well, I can fight. I'm going to beat up kids and, and yeah. bully people. It was nothing like that uh, for me. And that's what made me good because I understood the concept of the game, the sport. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've had over, oh, probably 300 amateur fights and I lost six of them. Um, and that was from the age six all the way up until my, like 19. Um, prior to that, and I'll back up, um, eighth grade, I tried marijuana for the first time mm -hmm. and, uh, no big deal. You know, everyone did it is, um, it was cool, you know, um, but back to that family unit, I didn't have my dad to kick my butt, you know, right. um, mom was a little easier to fool, All right. you know, um, she wasn't there because she was working and trying to, um, raise a family without, without help from my father. So I, I basically the streets, I adopted the streets to, um, as a father figure, I started running with some, some people who were in the same kind of, um, boat that I was in, they didn't have dads. We were partying, we were cool. Um, you know, in high school, there's a couple of groups of kids that are classified. You have your um, rich people or mm -hmm. um, smart people. Then you have your trouble people. Then you have your jocks, your, your jocks, your, yeah, yeah. your nerds. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, I was that guy that ran with the um, hotheads, mm -hmm. you know, um, things like that. And so eventually that led me to a path of experiencing with um, some other drugs such as um, acid and cocaine. Um, yeah. Uh, but cocaine, uh, we were just kind of recreational. We were snorting it. Um, that wasn't really my issue. Uh, didn't really care for it or not. Didn't really know where I was going other than I was cool and I was hanging out with people that appreciated me. Um, and then I met a Mexican guy or Hispanic guy, I'm sorry, um, who introduced me to cooking it, which you can smoke it then, which was a form of, they called it crack. Everyone knows about that, I think. Um, and that's when all my problems started. Very addictive drug. So you were still boxing. Yes. You were still, still thought you could balance both. Very promising career still. Yes. And uh, you're very good at it. You're going to be good at whatever you put your mind to, you're going to be good at it. Absolutely. Uh, so right around the age 16, 17 is when I started using crack. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got from the age 6 to 16, 10 years later after I'm unboxing, um, for me it didn't... Uh, hit me, the addictive part didn't really hit me um, in them 10 years because maybe boxing probably saved me a little longer than it would have because I would, I still knew that I loved the sport mm -hmm. and that I was responsible and accountable to my body and to the sport 
as far as conditioning. So I was still training and running and, and believing in myself and listening to my coach and following him. But then after practice, I was also being pulled in another direction. Uh, and then eventually one outweighed the other. Um, I tried to go back at the age of 20, um, but I was so far gone um, that it just didn't happen for me. So that coach kind of substituted as a father mm-hmm. or the boxing was a, was a discipline that you could put your heart and soul into, was, but yeah. you were being pulled away. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and not necessarily um, pulled away. I was being tugged away. It was, there was a force behind the addiction. And I know you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you work with a lot of people um, who are struggling in them areas. But uh, for me, uh, I felt... in love with, with cocaine. Um, I love how it made me feel. Um, and, and again, I identified these things. This is how I started working and getting better. It was years later after right. I identified what was going on with me. But I was using them things to, to deal with the emotions that I experienced. I've seen my mother, um, you know, in some bad relationships and some domestic stuff that I had to set back and no matter how good of a boxer I was, I knew I couldn't beat up that guy, mm-hmm. you know, my mom's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I was in situations to where I wanted to always be the protector of my mother because um, she was just a good woman trying to provide for her family and uh, she did her best. Uh, it just wasn't enough for, for me and my sister. So there's some emotional scars through our lives that, um, I'm sure we'll always right. deal with. Um, but at the age of 21, 22, I got really bad. And I started doing some, some things out of character. Um, couldn't, couldn't hold a job down. I was um, um, stealing, um, trying to provide or uh, manage a habit that I couldn't afford. And so uh, I do not know where... I got the courage to do the things that I did other than life experiences. Like when I was uh, 16, I had had a few jobs. I worked at um, McDonald's and Dillon's as a grocery uh, stalker and and um, sack bags and take them out. And, And during some of that training for them stores, they always told us, you know, if someone ever robs you, just give them the money. It's not worth your life, and we're insured. We can give, we can get the money back. We can't get you back. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but um, when I started running out of money and the addiction started overpowering me, I, I, I kind of reverted back to that. Mm-hmm. And I and I, and I thought, and they'll just give me the money if I go in there and say it's a robbery, right? right? And so, and and I'm just. And I'm thankful for them experiences. What I'm not thankful for is that, and a lot of people don't know this, um, every time I've done something so horrible like that, my intentions going in was to never hurt anybody. I I knew that I could never live with myself if I hurt somebody. If anyone got hurt, it was me. And and I said that to to say this, 
I use BB guns mm-hmm. without any BBs in them. Um, if it looked like a gun, then I was okay. I didn't want a real gun. Right. But the person on the other end of that didn't know that. Right. And so the damage was still done. And I live with that today at 49 years old. I still think about these people um, that I ran in the store and, and put a gun down and says, give me all the money, you know, uh, and run out. In, in, in most cases, it was just $30, $40. It wasn't like I was getting thousands of dollars. It was just mm-hmm. enough to get high. Um, and so I live with that. And, and um, it tugs at me, even right now, reminiscing about some of that stuff. But what helps me deal with that is um, I told myself in 2010, uh, when I released from prison, that I would never be that person. I just... Never wanted to be that person. Uh, and I know through the 12 steps and, and things like that in recovery that sometimes you, it's more harm to try to make amends with some of the people that you've harmed in the past. Um, and so I try to lead by example now um, and hope that if there's someone that I've harmed who's not sleeping at night, that I've given them PTSD or or whatever I've done to them, that they can see me in a light like this. And I take these opportunities that I get mm-hmm. through the work that I do to say, I'm sorry. Um, I, I didn't want to be that person. And um, But you're a great testimonial, and that's why your message is so strong. I mean, you were controlled by drugs, or at least you allowed yourself to be controlled by drugs. And so... It was drug thinking then. It was impulsive. It was survival. It wasn't, you don't think about the other consequences. And so you spent some time in, in prison mm-hmm. for robbery. Mm-hmm. And um, when did you decide that you were going to change your life? Or what was it that was the impetus for like, okay, I've got to, you know. <coughs> no, you were in prison for how long? 12 years. 12 years. And that was for? Ag robbery and drugs. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so somewhere in there, something clicked mm-hmm. because you're doing great things now. You're doing great things now. And, and, and I appreciate it. And, and I know you're going to, you probably not just made amends, but turned around some, some lives uh, in a big way, just based on what you're doing now. And anybody that watches this, you know. Well, you, you asked me what, what clicked yes. for me. Um, this is the story and the truth, as I share this story, that I think people struggle with um, because it's truly a God thing. And I'm very careful in my walk in sharing this story because some people, um, I don't think they believe it. And it's exactly how it happened. And I'll share it with you. Um, My 12 years in prison, eight of it was straight and the rest of it was in pieces. Um, But, 1998 is when I went to prison for the ag robbery and I got out in 2004, five, somewhere around there, uh, ended up going back and forth on 90 day PVs, a total of a year, 90 day PVs. And then right around 2006, when I was on my last parole violation, I got out and, um, still couldn't kick the habit. And I started using really strong again, 
which caused me to revert back to what I know. Mm -hmm. um, no job, no money, no support. Uh, well, I want to use drugs, so I got to go get it. Same so drugs I, for the most part? Yeah. I never, I mean, I've experimented with meth maybe twice, three times in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always been, um, I've never, uh, marijuana, alcohol, never an issue for me. Never. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always the, the crack. So during that last, um, from like 2006, 2007, I committed two more robberies. And, and this, is the, this is the piece that um, I would challenge anybody when they ask or when they say there's no God. Uh, and, and I get it. I, some people may, some people may not. I do. And I'll tell you why. Um, 2007, I committed two more robberies. Ag robberies, BB guns, never going to hurt nobody. Me, probably get hurt if anything. Right. Um, I committed a robbery in another county, and I came back into Reno County, Hutchison, and committed the same robbery, the same MO, everything. But I went to Walmart and purchased, I bought the ski mask, mm -hmm. not two different times. Um, in the ski mask that I wore, uh, after I committed the robbery, my stupid thinking was, I got to leave the, the vicinity, and if I have these items on me, right. it says you did it. Mm -hmm. So I would throw them out. Mm -hmm. I would discard of the, the BB gun, the, the um, ski mask, and all the clothes that I had on, I'd get rid of them. Well, I, I, I never knew all the things that law enforcement knows, DNA, right. fingerprints, right. you yeah. know. Uh, everyone knows if you rob somebody, mm -hmm got to put a mask on so they can't identify you. Right. But what you don't realize is how far depth they can go to get the person that did that. Okay. And so through particle, hair particles and, and uh, actually it was just DNA. I don't know how they got it, but they found my DNA in that ski mask. Mm -hmm. And they also found, and when I share this story, I'll just use everybody in the room mm -hmm. as an example. They found my DNA, they found your DNA, mm -hmm. and they found his DNA right. in this ski mask that I bought at Walmart, mm -hmm. which says, and, and this is where it gets tricky, people kind of find it hard to believe, but this is the, this is the only scenario or way it could have happened. Mm -hmm. It says that you went into Walmart, tried that ski mask on, didn't like it, and put it back. Mm -hmm. He came in, put it on, yeah. and didn't like it. And then I came in and purchased it. Yeah. Yours is present, his is present, and mine is present. With my criminal history, if I would have got caught, I was looking at 35 years in prison. Right. And so the judge at the time, when I, this was in McPherson County, um, for whatever reason, I didn't want a plea bargain. I, I, because I got my affidavits and all that, and it stated that it was possibly a black male wearing a ski mask right. uh, with his DNA, with th uh, three presents of DNA. Mm -hmm. And so I was asking my attorney, what does that mean? There's my DNA and two others? He's like, yeah. And it was like God was saying, don't take a plea bargain fight. Yeah. Um, I got better plans for you. Um, and I took it all the way to court. Yeah. And... Well, let's, let me back up. When I was going through that 
in about a matter of three month trial process and court proceedings, everybody in the my pod was saying, you don't want to get a jury trial here. They're racist, you know, you're yeah. black and you're gonna go, they're gonna convict yeah. you. And and again, it, I'm listening and I'm like, I, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but something made me mm-hmm. believe that. Yeah. And so I, I, I chose a bench trial. And so I have a cousin who worked on the PD side, police department, Hutchinson mm-hmm. Police Department. And he married a young lady from Hutchinson whose father was Buck Lyle. I don't know if you know Buck Lyle. No. He's a, he was the, the magistrate judge or something like that in Reno County. And so uh, Judge Anderson was actually the judge in McPherson. And so um, I believe in my heart that if he would have been the judge, I would have got found guilty. Mm-hmm. And he was, it was... Because he, he already knew your history. Yeah. And he, yeah. And so, um, make a long story short, when I go to trial, Buck Lau's there. Mm-hmm. My cousin's wife's dad. Mm-hmm. Good and bad. Um, prosecutors are like, well you know this guy and I don't, we don't think it's fair basically that you're setting on, you know, they were trying to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, you're right. I know Mr. Hill. And if he's guilty, I'll send his ass to prison. I thought, Oh, shit. you know, right. um, my thoughts are one for me, you know, I got, you know, yeah. one up my sleeve and it was not, it was not that, mm-hmm. but what that allowed was for him to be fair and partial. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, there's no doubt in my mind that Mr. Hill committed this crime. But as the judge overseeing this, it looks like we got his DNA and two other people's DNA. And if we're going to send him to prison, we got to send the other two. Mm-hmm. And they're not present in court, not guilty. Mm-hmm. So, you got a reprieve. I did. Yeah. But I had a robbery in 98, so I still have some criminal history there. Yeah. Got found not guilty on this robbery, mm-hmm. and I got one more to go face. Mm-hmm. I get to get to Reno County, same scenario. Wow. They got my DNA and your DNA, not his. Two peoples now. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, I'm going to beat this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to win. Affidavit says possibly a black male wearing a ski mask. And I'll never forget this. Um, these are sworn affidavits by the victims. And I go to my preliminary hearing and the lady says, I never said that. That's him. He's the one that robbed me. And so I have my own visions and how I think things happen. I think that McPherson that communicated with Reno County and said that he beat us. This is how he did it. If you can't place him at the scene, he's going to win. And they placed me at the scene by saying that these affidavits were not true. That lady actually saw him. Mm -hmm. Could I have won that in a jury trial? Maybe. Uh, But God was working on me. Um, I was responsible. I was accountable and I was, and I was guilty and they offered me a plea for 36 months and I took it. 
and that's when my life changed. I went to prison. When I was there for the 36 months, I started working on myself. I started taking classes. I got certified in a manufacturing program. I did all these things um, and got out. And I never looked back. And you felt fortunate that you got three months versus 30 years potentially. Yes. I, I had to have something because I know me, if I would have beat that case, I would have thought that I was the stuff yeah. and I could go right back to doing what I needed to struggle for them 36 months. I needed to be put on timeout. I needed to go without, um, because every time I was ever incarcerated, my, my mother did everything to make sure that I had TV and I had sweats and I was just like everyone else who was in prison. She didn't want me going without. That last one, I, I, I did bad. I didn't have, I barely had money for deodorant. She, bless her heart, she sent me $10 a month. Um, and I had to make that work. I didn't have all the zuzus and wham whams and um, my, my room was dark and lonely. But all that was, that was him putting me in time out and making me reflect on my life, what I've done, where I want to be, who, 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 who I am, um, what I want out of life. And I mean, he was just chiseling away at me. And I didn't, even then I didn't recognize it, but I just knew, um, because if I had recognized it, I think I could have fought it, you know, like, oh, I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, but it was, I had to struggle. Uh, I had to, I had to get a taste in my mouth for, never wanting to go back to that. Yeah. And every bad experience that could happen to you in prison, except for getting harmed or something, mm -hmm. or um, I don't want to say it, but there's a lot of things that happen in prison yeah. that didn't happen to me, but I didn't have no money. I didn't have, um, I wasn't associated with the gangs. I didn't, I mean, I've removed myself from all that. I didn't gamble. I didn't do any, I didn't play basketball. Because in the heat of the summer, people got in fights. And what I didn't share with you was my 27-year-old daughter, who she's 27 now, but at the time, helped me make that decision to take that plea bargain. Because she came to visit me and said to me, Damn you, Father. All I ever wanted you to do was make it to my graduation. And she hung the phone up and walked out. Because at this time, I was still wanting to take my trial or my case to trial because I just beat them in McPherson. Right. And my daughter said that to me. And ironically, the next day they came with that plea bargain. Mm -hmm. And my attorney said, you got a day to sleep on this. And I started doing the math. 36 months. By the time I get out, I can make her graduation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or I could take a chance. And if I get found guilty, I'm going to do about 60, 70 months. And it wasn't a hard decision, but the part, it was a very, very small window of making it because if I lost any good time while I was in prison, got in a fight, got in trouble, written up for something, uh, I wouldn't have made it. So I went DR free for 36 months. You made it. I made it. And I was out of graduation. Um, that's how my life changed. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and it just continued to get better. Mm -hmm. 
just got better and better and better. I made the decision that I needed to figure out what was wrong with me. And the only thing I could figure out was that I wasn't a bad person, um, but drugs was my issue. Drugs made me do X, Y, and Z, and I needed to figure out how to stop using them. And that's what I went to work on in 2010. I stopped hanging out with all the people that got me in trouble. I struggled, I couldn't find a job, but I had help. Um, I had a small support system that believed in me, and I moved to Kansas City and couldn't find a job, um, but I had food, cigarettes, and a place to lay my head. And I got up every morning and I walked the area to find jobs and I couldn't find anything. And I'll never forget uh, my girlfriend's niece at the time. Uh, when I went to church and she grabbed my hand and it's, it's crazy how children can pick up on these things, but she seen that I was down, hurting, and she knew I was looking for a job. And she grabbed my hand, I'll never forget it. She said, Uncle Mikey, come with me, I found you a job. And it, and it was a little build, uh, billboard thing and picked this paper off and car wash, work start today. And here was the number and I called them. Um, and this is after McDonald's, Burger King, Long John Silver, and I'm in my 30s applying at these places right. and they won't hire me. Yeah. Excuse me. You're a felon now. I'm a felon. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not just a felon, I'm, mm -hmm. a, I'm a, a big felon. Right. Um, and so I called these people and they hired me, mm -hmm. started me off minimum wage and I'm working and I got child support they built up from years and years of incarceration. That was about $30,000 in the hole. Mm -hmm. um, and so my checks were $70, $80 every two weeks. You know, I thought, you believing in what I believe in, something's going to change and something's going to happen. <laughs> Six months of doing that, the manager came to me and said, the owner came to me and said, I don't know why, out of all the people who've been here for years, I'm, ask, I'm going to ask you a question. Would you, be assist, would you be interested in being an assistant manager? He says, you've not missed a day. You're consistent. I watch you interact with the people, and you're, you're just a great people person. I need you. Started me off at $17, gave me insurance. I was on my way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was yeah. on my way. Yeah. I ran that store for, it was a detail store, car wash. I ran that store for about you know, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and then a, a black kid wrecked a vehicle. I was at the other location. And the manager called, or the owner called me, and he says, you're not going to believe what happened. So-and-so, N-word. Uh, just wrecked this car and I'm mad. Get down here. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, sir. What did you call me? Oh, well, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm mad. I says, well, it doesn't excuse you for mm -hmm. saying that to me. Right. I, I mean, I can understand your frustration. It's going to cost you some money, but we just don't use them words. Mm -hmm. And so um, I couldn't work for him. Mm -hmm. And I ended up moving back home to Hutchison. Um, and I hooked up with the sheriff, Randy Henderson, yeah. um, 
and I started doing talks at colleges and stuff and met my wife and I worked for SAC for two years yeah. and then I went to higher ground. Um, all drug treatment centers. All, all drug treatment yeah. centers. I worked for community corrections at 905 yeah. here in Wichita and the sheriff called me and asked me to be his program director. And um, he knew you before. Knew me before, kind of sat back and watched me, mm -hmm. um, my, my accomplishments, and basically told me, whatever you did to change your life, I would ask that you help me help this population change theirs. Mm -hmm. And we've been at it for five years. He just retired. Um, but that wasn't it for me. Um, I knew as going back to school, I uh, went to Johnson County, came back and did some credits at Hutchjuco. I went to Fort Hayes online for a while um, in, in, in uh, search for, or for my LAC, um, Licensed Addiction Counselor. Right, absolutely. Um, I think I got 18 credits to finish that and I have not. Um, there's so much missing pieces to my story, but um, the reason I haven't went back is because I recently got custody of my 13-year-old daughter. Now she's 13, but when I got her, she was four. Her mother was in a bad way, and um, I stepped up, and she's with me. I bought a home. Um, I bought a boat, a motorcycle. Um, mm -hmm. All these things I bought, and my wife asked me, why do you want these things? And I, and I says, I know it doesn't financially seem right to you. I says, but dear You'll never understand this. When I grew up, little Johnny had a motorcycle and he rode it all around me and never let me ride it. Um, my buddies have boats and they never take me out on them. I'm not buying these things because I want to say, look what I got. I'm buying these things because as a man now, I can do that. This is for me, these are the things that I love to do. Uh, when I lived in Kansas City, my wife that I met in Hush, we were dating long distance, and she'd come up and she'd say, uh, how much is your cable bill? And it was like $350 a month. She's like, my God, why do you pay? That is ridiculous. She says, there's things that you don't understand and you never will. I've spent thousands of dollars on drugs in a night. Yeah. And I don't want to go back out there to the bars and hanging out. This is my entertainment. Mm -hmm. I have a home phone. I have a fax for my college to email and send documents. And I have every channel. And I pay for that so I can be at peace in my own home mm -hmm. and entertain without going out in the streets and finding X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and she never looked at it like that. And I used to, it's kind of a running joke. Do you want me to buy a boat or do you want me to be on crack? Get no. your boat, Michael. Thank you. But I've always made smart decisions. I, I've never would buy a boat if my daughter didn't have what she need or my house wasn't provided for. Uh, when I, I just bought a boat uh, a year ago and I just upgraded uh, not even a month ago and got a boat. But I saved that money. It's my money. And I told my wife, 
I've saved this money. I've also provided for the family. This is the money that we can go on a trip to Hawaii or whatever. Uh, but we already been to Hawaii and I didn't like it. I love the Hawaii, but I don't like the plane. Yeah. And so she's like, just buy your boat back. <laughs> um, and so I got a great wife. I got a great family and I'm responsible and I appreciate life for what it is. And I will spend the rest of my life giving back what was given to me. Right. No, you help so many people and you resonate with so many people that are addiction or fighting addictions. And uh, no, I really appreciate your story. It's going to be very powerful to a lot of people. I mean, you spent some time in prison, going in the wrong direction. You got it together. And you not only helped yourself, but probably saved your daughters, broke the cycle. Yes. Was your mother still with you? I just left her coming up here. I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> she stresses me out, you know. Yeah. She's 65 years old. Um, I just hooked her computer up. She, she, I mean, I, I'm so thankful for my mother. Um, it's, it's as weird as it sounds. Um, I'm the only man in her life. Um, she counts on me for everything, hooking her computer up, cutting her grass, fixing her cars, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the best job in the world besides the job that I do for a living. Um, there's some things that I didn't share about my mother, but uh, recently um, a boyfriend committed suicide in her home mm -hmm. and uh, it, it just tore her up and she's bouncing back from that. It tore a lot of us up and, um, you know, she, she has this, and I know where I get it from, I get it from her, but she has this helping spirit. Um, she was, wants to help the world. And sometimes she doesn't make the best decisions doing that. And um, this one kind of bitter and bitter in the butt a little bit, but um, we support her. Um, I love her to death and she'll do anything for me. She's so proud of me. And, and that's the other thing, you know, I, I, people don't understand. Um, moving forward in my life and my recovery, um, and I didn't share this and I have to because it was, um, you, you get kind of stagnant in the things that you do in life and then mm -hmm. is our limit. Yeah. Um, but you're always wondering what can you do next? Mm -hmm. And I knew that nothing is promised. Mm -hmm. uh, I got my record exposed. Oh wow. Yeah. Because yes. I knew that um, going forward in this field that I'm in, that if I'm ever going to, uh, if I lost my job due to funding or something, I, I needed to be able to maintain what I have started. Um, I can go work anywhere now. Yeah. Um, I don't have to settle for Long John's or McDonald's. And I say that very humbly because mm -hmm. um, I know right now that I would work at all three McDonald's if I had to. Right. Uh, and I mean that wholeheartedly. If I couldn't find a job, I would work at all three McDonald's, cut grass, paint houses, whatever I had to do to make sure that my daughter doesn't experience what I experienced. Right. 
And it's really the same type of unconditional love your mom gave you throughout all this. Mm -hmm. And now you know, because you have a daughter, what that unconditional love I have three. really feels like. Yes, I have. Yeah. I have a son um, that I didn't talk about, but I haven't seen him since he's two, mm -hmm. and he is twenty-four now. Mm -hmm. um, which I used to be so mad at his mother, mm -hmm. um, but again, I wasn't thinking about anyone but myself. Um, I gave her all the reason to do what she did. Um, she kept him from me because every time I got out, I went back to prison, used drugs, and she just didn't want her son, our mm -hmm. son, to be a part of that. And I used to blame her and say, well, you know, you could let me see my son, just let me see him, you know? And she's like, no, because you're gonna go right back to prison. And you're, you know, you're, he's not safe with you. Um, and, I'll, and I'll make this short. It helps me to talk about this. Yes. Um, the way that I deal with that is my son knows who I am. I've actually talked to him, uh, gave him my phone number, and I've always told him that I loved him. But the same way that I've hurt other people, and I pray that one day, I, I, I know that God is working on this as we speak. My son has kind of sat back and listened to all the bad pictures that were painted about me. Basically, your father's a monster. Right. That's why mom don't want you around him. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, leading by example, through the work that I do, through the belief that I have, 13 years of sobriety, um, I know my son sees that too. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the, that makes this recovery easy is because uh, and it's not, but these are the things that help me. Um, if I ever, if I'm ever going to have a chance to be in his life, um, if he comes knocking or tries my phone and I'm back on drugs or in prison, I failed him again. Right. And I won't do that. I've had the same number for since 2010, mm -hmm. same number. Um, that's huge to me because I've never had a phone longer than 30 days. Mm -hmm. Well, I bet he'll reach out to you. One of these days. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Amazing story. I appreciate it. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to come in here and tell your story, and it's not all happy, but your journey's amazing, and you've gone in the right direction, and all you do now is help people. That's, that's right. all you do now. And so, you know, our hope here is that People that are out there that feel like it's hope, hopeless or they can't do it or nobody understands them or nobody understands what it's like to be in their shoes can watch stories like this and, and say, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe I need to, to get with it. And, and yours was, was a journey, but you pulled it off. It's very my pleasure to get to know you. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Michael. Well, I'll, I'll just leave you with this. And if there's anything that I can ever do to help you, I am open. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Lakin is a board-certified family medicine doctor with an emphasis in addiction medicine and over 25 years of experience. For addiction recovery services in the Wichita area, please visit www.centerforchangeks.com.
or visit samhsa.gov for a national directory of resources and recovery centers in your area. You can also find these links in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast. And remember, you've got this.